the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. The phone number is 602-508-0960, And just holding over from the uh, last uh, part of the last uh, hour is Steve and Tempe, who uh, unfortunately just didn't uh, have enough time uh, given the shortness of that last segment. Steve, uh, feel free to pick up where you left off. I know we were talking about the race baiting of the left and the Democrats. Yeah, appreciate it, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think that's just that's just my thoughts on that. Is it's it's the people like uh, Kamala Harris and anybody as it relates to the upcoming election, any any opportunity that they're going to get, like this most recent example, they're going to take full advantage of in a, in a big time way just to uh, let the black community, black voters know, hey, don't don't stray too far from us. We're the ones that are in your corner. You think it's out of nervousness that they may be losing some of that base? Or do you think it's more that they're just trying to paint the entire conservative movement as racists? I I think it's both. Yeah. And And I think there's no question that that President Trump previously made some serious inroads with the black community when when he, you know, prior to his being elected, and, and then during his term too, and uh, they fear that, and they're going to use every opportunity to, to try to keep that voting block in the Democrat Party completely, and they know that they, if they lose, and I, you know, I, I, I hear all, and I'm sure you do too. You hear these percentages, you know, if the black vote goes 10 percent to the republicans from what it usually is it it's going to sway the election to the republic republicans completely who knows what that percentage is but uh, they're going to make every opportunity to make sure that that doesn't happen yeah i mean i do return to this issue uh that i was saying with the previous caller right before you steve that um this is the democrats default and go to it's either blame law yep. enforcement or play the race card and they play it, and they play it from the bottom of the deck. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, no question. They don't have the All policies. The they don't have. They just don't have anything else to run on. They don't have a good record on anything. Not foreign policy. Not domestic. Not economic. So it's no, no surprise. This is where they go to. No, no surprise at all. And it's it's just so divisive. It's just so damn divisive. And it's and it's so unfortunate that we have to have this in our rhetorical atmosphere at this late stage in our lives, you know, in the life of this country. Yeah. It's just such a sad thing. Because I, I think most Americans are sick and tired of it and are just are just so um uh, so resentful that we are forced to think race all the time when we have worked so hard and have wanted for so long not to. Not to have to, not to be that anymore, not to do that anymore. I, I just think people resent it, um, but it it, it 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 is clearly their best playbook. It is clearly their best playbook. Yeah, it's not only sad; it's it's a it's a disgrace. And people and will believe for, it. You know, people do believe yeah. it. They they you know, if you are 
you know, a non-political type, if you're, you know, not if you don't listen to talk radio or watch Fox News now and again or whatever, you know, you're just a normal person doing your normal thing. Um, you know, you get from, you know, the occasional CNN report or the occasional morning television or top of the news hour report or network news or cable, which is mostly dominated by the left, but one exception, maybe one and a half exceptions. You get this. I mean, it's just in the air. It's easily believed. It's easily yep. believed. And so they know they can exploit it. It is. And it just you described it best. Seth. Just, you know, it's it's the race card being played from the bottom of the deck yeah. and they they do they'll they'll take every opportunity my, my point was they are going to take every opportunity to just jump on anything that comes can i up add to that to- one more yeah. thought steve yeah. you know there's not enough republican outrage at this exactly. you know if you and i and many of us i think do think that this racialization of politics is such an evil thing is such a dastardly well it's okay let's just stick with the 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 metaphor the card from the bottom of the deck the race baiting if we think it is so um beneath dignity or, or or such a such a tragedy to our to our to our national rhetoric and dialogue not enough republicans are willing to stand up and denounce it and be and show outrage and lead outrage on this i think they're fearful of it, I think uh, some of them are. I don't even think Ron DeSantis did a very good job today of defending it, to be honest with you. But, you know, when something as strong as the ra- racialization of politics is being alleged here, you know, I would like to see every elected Republican stand up and denounce it with appropriate outrage. I, I don't know how else we're going to rid ourselves of this of this, of this uh, troublesome priest. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, Seth. And, and the fact people is, should be outraged by it. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, it it should be it should be it should be pushed back against in a big time way every time it's done, and it isn't because. Uh, and and you're, you're, I think you're correct on it. They're afraid to do it. They're afraid to come across as looking like a. You know, who wants to be like on the other side of Whoopi Goldberg and whatever her name is, Anna Navarro and Joy Behar, you know? I mean, they're yeah. afraid of them. They're afraid of them. Yeah. They are. They're afraid of that, that whole side of the Democrat Party, and it's, it's, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 also, it's also pathetic, too. I mean, we, we voted for these people to represent us, and you and I both know when, you know, if, if someone were to, to accuse us of being that type of person we're going to push back on at least i am yeah and i'm not gonna you know it's it's they they just feel that you know they can take the the george w bush approach and just you know let it you know let all the the heat come at them and and think it's just going to go right by and and it doesn't no it it doesn't there comes a point when it uh it starts to resonate and that's you know a really a really damaging thing and that's that's yeah Seth, what I, what I was going to I called to talk to you about real quick too is uh, last week I had a chance. I was I was at home. I didn't have to work uh, two of the days that I was listening. I was listening to C-SPAN three, the Mayorkas testimony, and uh, Christopher Ray when he was in. <laughs> this is and what I, I mean when that, I say most when I talk about normal people. We're not normal, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> I had some time time at home, so I tuned into C-SPAN three. This is what I'm. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. No. Yeah. Well, I just happened to catch it, and but and my I came to the conclusion after watching both of those hearings is that 
we are never going to i mean first of all these having these guys in front of the the committee like that is worthless time they they just that what they say is either either lying or or covering up lies and and it's um it's it's worthless having these guys but what i but looking at the bigger picture the only way we're going to get control of those organizations you know that you know and i'm talking about the fbi cia um department of justice um and you and i have i've talked i called you about this a while back and and i think you know this is a big a big thing but I think the only way, you know, and the FBI's obviously they've got this in their budget for this new two billion dollar building or whatever they're planning on building for them or whatever they're hoping that Congress passes this to build a bigger FBI than there already is. I think the only way to take care of these organizations and get them back to where they used to be in having some kind of uh, efficacy is is uh, is to relocate them. They're going to have to, you know, say. You know, have a President Trump come in and say, "Okay, look, we're gonna. The FBI is no longer going to be in Washington. It's going to be in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska." Yeah, I've heard these. I've heard proposals on this, and I haven't thought it through fully. Does it solve it? Does it? Okay. I I think it will. I mean, it's not going to solve it, right? But is it go a step forward in solving it? Yeah. I think just having these people in place, no matter who's in, in office, if it's President Trump, if it's Ron DeSantis, whoever it is. It's still going to go on. So they're not part of it's but gonna, but the idea is what that they're not part of the daily routine of the workaday of the of the of the workaday bureaucracy that's all kind of singularly directed that kind of yeah. put it put it in yeah. real America where you see what no, real no, people no, think no, of or I, what. I'm just talking about I'm just talking about restructuring it. Uh-huh. When you relocate I I'm in commercial real estate. Yeah. When you relocate a business from one place to yeah. another you you have the opportunity to restructure yeah. your company, to yeah. restructure the offices and everything. Yeah. That is, and and the, and the people, yeah. and the people that are going to be in those in those offices, holding those offices. I think that's going to be it's a different the only atmosphere. way to really yeah. It's a different that. atmosphere. It's certainly to, for those who say you know we're not going to do things the way Washington typically does things. That would certainly do it. Pull a geographic. I'm going to think more seriously about that, Steve. Thank you. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter, from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency. Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you, my listeners, have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group. They're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com, MidasGoldGroup.com. Young David discovered a piece of audio that blows me. Did you know, how did you know to look for this? Or is this something you studied and remembered from your salad days? What, how did you get to this? Uh, what? 
your salad days, your younger and more vulnerable years. Salad says. days. I've never heard that term. Yeah, check it out. I think I'm right. Um, no, this uh, this actually broke through the waters, you might say, last week. Yeah. It was actually uh, covered in Meet the Press. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was like a, you know. Oh, it was a flashback? 46 years ago today or something like Play that. Play it for the yeah. audience. This yeah, is this from is interesting, uh, and I probably have to preface by th- by saying I, I I think Jimmy Carter was a lousy president, yeah. but he did do he was a very idealist in campaigning. Nineteen seven. This. this is nineteen seventy six. Meet the press okay. in nineteen seventy six. Well, the first thing we need to do is to make sure that the FBI is completely professionalized once again and is removed from politics. So I would like to remove the attorney general from the cabinet, have the attorney general appointed for a certain period of time, maybe five to seven years, have him appointed on the basis of merit or her. Have the Senate confirm that appointment, but not remove that person from office unless the president and the leaders of Congress, as designated with a special prosecutor, determine that the attorney general was not adequately performing the duties of that office. I think this removal of the attorney general, who's the boss of the FBI, from politics, would let the FBI seek its natural role as a non-political professional organization. Interesting. So interesting. So if Republicans want to run on this or work with this, they can just say they want to um, they want to adapt the Jimmy Carter plan. Yeah. (laughs) The Carter philosophy. Yeah. The Jimmy Carter plan for reforming. the. We better not talk about Jimmy Carter. I mean, he it seems like he's uh, halfway to death's door right now. Well, yeah. And it seems that when we talk about people on air. Yeah. Bad things happen. to them. I know. I know. I know. I know. Or if I go to their concerts. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that happens too. You know, I've I've put a few away. We we found the um we found out who the female was on the sixty eight Nixon poster. Yeah, we were debating who it was. I did some research. Yeah. It is Anita Ekberg, a Swedish actress. La Dolce 1950s. Vita. Yeah, you Fellini. like her? Huh? I said yeah. you like her. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Have you ever seen uh I, I, if you didn't know who she was, I bet you don't know this one. It's uh Hollywood or Bust. Yeah. With Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And does it have Anita Ekberg? Jerry in it? Lewis is obsessed with Anita Ekberg and moves <laughs> to Hollywood just to meet her. <laughs> he would have had to have moved farther and than that. And she appears as herself in the movie. She does? Yes. Didn't she live in Sweden or something like that? Or Italy or somewhere? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That was a different Hollywood, wasn't it? You were telling me that on the break, how impressed you were with Oh, sure. How conserv- I found this yeah. awesome piece of literature. Holly- Hollywood was different back was then. Which was Celebrities for Nixon. It was a September 5th, 1968 fundraiser. Yeah. Take a listen to all these people. Yeah, I don't know if I'll know them, but go ahead. All right. Give it a shot. Les Brown is the honorary chairman. You know, Les Brown and his banner and Alan. Um, And I'm going to go down here. We have uh, Vivian Blaine, yeah. Pat Boone, of course, yeah. uh, Buck Williams, probably Sid Art Linklater, Clint Eastwood, Bill probably. Crosby, Bob Crosby, yeah. Don DeFore, Anita Ekberg. It was different. Uh, you know, I have a picture, um, and you can get it online if you haven't seen it, of a 1970 election campaign effort for Ronald Reagan as governor. And um, that 1970 picture, it hosts uh, Frank Sinatra. Uh, John Wayne, if I'm not mistaken, Dean Martin, and Bob Hope, all standing with Ronald Reagan for governor. So anyway, if you can grab that line, David, I'd appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was Hollywood was a different place. Here's something that transpired today that you need to be aware of. You will recall that uh, Joe Biden has been lying uh, prodigiously in saying the things he said about knowing and knowledge of Hunter Biden's 
transactions, business transactions, everything from I'm proud of my boy to my boy did nothing wrong. Okay, maybe a father can believe that. But the lie that was so elaborate that no one does believe was his statement that said he's never even talked to his son about his business dealings. He's never even talked to his son about business, which no one can credibly believe, as any number of people have said and any number of people know that, you know, even if your son has a summer job in a, I don't know, an ice cream parlor or an air conditioning sales facility or manufacturing facility, it would be natural for a father or grandfather to talk to him about it. Just how's it going? What you up to? I mean, it's not credible that the president can say he's never talked to his son about his business dealings. Well, as all this is coming, as more and more of this stuff is coming out, particularly through James Comer's committee, and he held a, um, and he, and he, and he sent a salvo out today, Comer did, about one of Hunter Biden's colleagues, I think his name is Devin Archer, who seems to be willing to uh, blow the whistle or have the goods on Hunter Biden uh, involving Joe Biden in their business communications. Uh, a reporter asked Karen Jean-Pierre this question. Listen to the language. The language is very important here. See. Uh, Chairman James Comer today says that the Oversight Committee excuse me, has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his so I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? The question was, does the president still stand behind his commitment? Excuse me. Does the president still stand behind his comment that he's never even spoken to his son about his business? And Karin Jean-Pierre a million times says the president was never in business with his son. That's what you call reframing the question. You know, if you're on a stand in a courtroom and a lawyer asks you, or in a deposition, a lawyer asks you a question and you frame it to answer, reframe it to answer it the way you want. That's what Karen Jean-Pierre did. And you'll notice, it's worth playing that audio and at the end a little bit. You'll notice she choked on it. you notice she almost slipped in her, in her, in her, in, in her contortion here. Listen. Uh, spoken to his son about his business. so i've been i've been asked this question a million times the answer is not going to change the answer remains the same the president ha- was never as did you hear that she was about to say has never been in business with his son was never in business with his son has never spoken to yeah there i i don't know I, i'm I'm loath to say the walls are closing in because I heard that too many times in the previous administration when they were never closing in, and now they have the media on their side. So I don't know if the walls are closing in, but they are making themselves more laughable, at least to us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Am I responsible for your love of McCartney? Or were you into him before you came here? Not as much. Yeah, no. you were definitely responsible. Oh, and he's, he's a tremendous talent, isn't he? I told you what I did over the weekend, right? 
No. I listened to the Wings Greatest Hits from the 1978. Wingspan. I thought it was called Wingspan. You don't think it was called Wingspan? You know, there's a, there's a lot of weird shenanigans with digital music these days. Yeah. I buy a, I buy a vinyl album and then yeah. I'll look on and go on like Apple Music or yeah. Spotify. And they I have might the be songs wrong. all out of order and call different things. I and, might be wrong. No, you might be right. I'm saying you probably had it on vinyl and Jet is his dog. Did you know that? No, I didn't Jet know was that. his dog, and that is a classic song. Of a reverse Mondegreen. Ah, Tom. Yeah, it's a reverse yep. Mondegreen. It's a made-up word. Joshua's in Gilbert. Hello, Joshua. Hey, Seth. Uh, thanks for taking the call again. I appreciate it. Of course. How are you? Good, man. Um, uh, I was through the break trying to think of how to break down this question as basic as I could, and I think this is basically it. It's kind of a, a point that I heard from Sebastian Gorka today when I was on my lunch break, which is, you know... The Democrats don't think they can win in a fair election, so that's why they're doing all this stuff to Trump. And I kind of just thought, and it kind of just dawned on me again, a little bit more abstract. Are we going into the 2024 election thinking, oh, you know, it's going to go back to being, quote, you know, a fair election, all the COVID stuff is over, so, yeah, Trump has got a shot or whoever, because, yeah, all that stuff is kind of done and over, or are we thinking the opposite, because... I, I, if we think that we're going into this election next year and it's like, oh, COVID stuff is done and all that is over and we're going to have a fair election, aren't we kind of kidding ourselves at this point? I, we're kidding I ourselves. Yeah, thank you. Uh, stay with me. Uh, we're kidding ourselves if we're not attuned to what the Democrats are trying to do. Um, a friend of mine sent me a great piece. Let me commend it to you. Uh, that just came out in the American Conservative, the left's elections fortifications in 2024. So the AmericanConservative.com, the left's elections fortifications. And it's about a lot of think tank uh, and Democratic liberal power groups that are engaging in all kinds of activities to have... um, to have automatic voter registration and same-day registration, particularly in important swing states like North Carolina and Virginia, um, expanding um, the pool of voters to limit conservative gains. So it's 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 these are legal efforts. Uh, don't get me wrong about that. There are these. I mean, you can you can legally change laws and pressure states to change their laws. These are legal efforts, but they. They should not be under the radar, and we should be acting with equally legal efforts to resist them and be aware of them and do fortify. That's a good word in the article. Do fortify against it. It's it's important to know what they're up to, Joshua. And this is a good, sober analysis of the kind of stuff uh, a lot of these uh, groups like the Brennan Center are up to, these uh, strategies to uh, cement um, the left's advantage, uh, including automatic registration. Whenever you see automatic registration or same-day registration or when you see extending the period of time in which to vote or count votes, this this is a clue that they know something we may not or they're up to something we may not be as fortified against as we should be. So, uh, you know, we need to be up against it. And and probably the way to do it is talking about it the way this article is, what they're up to, not what happened. There's this thing about, you know, revisiting these elections of the past um, that seem to turn that conversation seems to turn off voters or seems to turn off independents. So now talk about what they're up to right now and in the future. And uh, this this article is a, is a great way to get you there. 
Yeah, I think there was an article on American Greatness that said something about how Democrats are trying to fortify the 2024 election. It, but might, it might be it the same of, article. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm reading it from the American Conservative, but it might be the same one. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. And I just because I thought because I've normally been thinking lately, like, man, I just don't know if Trump can like win. But then I thought Sebastian Gorka might be kind of right. Like maybe in a fair fight, it, he really could win. But then I was thinking, there's no way in heck they're going to allow a fair fight. So I don't really know what's going to happen. And then, I mean, it still blows my mind how the election stuff here in Arizona for the governor, for Carrie Lake, how half the machines were. I was at a, a polling place that day where half of the people's like tablets weren't working. And the fact they couldn't get a judge to like extend the hours or yeah, I, I think I think. Thank you. I got to hit the break here, Josh. I think take a look at this article. The author is Hayden Ludwig. Hayden, uh, you can remember it by Carl Hayden or Hayden Road and Ludwig uh, Beethoven. That's how to remember it. Hayden Ludwig. <laughs> anyway, it's called uh, the Left's Elections Fortification in Twenty. 24. And it'll, as I say, the benefit of it is it allows you to talk about shenanigans. Uh, it's probably not the right word. Talk about strategies for next year's election rather than elections past. Thank you for that. We'll be right back. Eddie Rabbit, who made yep. his bones how? I, I don't know. <laughs> he wrote uh, Cold Kentucky Rain for Elvis Presley. Oh, and we've got that in the bumper, too. Yeah. Yep. yeah in the yeah. Cold Kentucky Rain. Right. Yep. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. My friend uh, and Professor Hadley Arcus has an expression that we go through these exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. Exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. With all this terminology around gender, there's probably no better example I could think of. I heard this earlier, and it is priceless. This is from a hearing last week uh, that uh, Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, is um, is questioning the superintendent of the Air Force, uh, Lieutenant General Richard Clark, about a scholarship available to people of certain genders and not others, and it's 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 priceless. Um, the 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 first part is an interesting intellectual point because we just live with these we just live with terminology like diversity is our strength, right? Racial diversity is our strength, and we require a diverse fighting force. And look, we I think we can all agree that we want. Zero racism and a non-racialized everything in America. I think I think we can all agree on civil rights. It's it's this weird pressure and notion that we have to apply race-based affirmative action, but now gender-based affirmative action in all its forms to places like the military. And Matt Gates just <laughs> he exposes the. Ex- the exquisite ritual of essential meaninglessness here. Please bear with. An inclusive force is a war-fighting imperative. This is on a slide at the Air Force Academy. General Clark, do you agree with that statement? I do agree with that statement, sir. So, I mean, were, were the Mongols diverse? Well, sir, uh, I, I'm not really uh, 
as versed on Mongol warfighting as how I about, am on how about the U.S. Vikings? warfighting. How about the Vikings? Were the Vikings diverse? Again, sir, I'm looking at our country, the most diverse country in the world. Sure, sure, but this is about a warfighting imperative. How about the, fight, the force in Ukraine? Are the Ukrainians fighting the Russians a diverse force? Sir, once again, uh, my concern is the people that I'm charged to build into leaders. The right, but you would, you would acknowledge that throughout history, including present history, that statement hasn't borne true in every example, right? Sir, what I would say is that those countries have to rely on the full force of their population to, to build a war fighting force yeah. to win our wars, and that's why it's important for us to be diverse. Because sure, our nation So let's look at the population that actually makes up the, the, the fighting force frequently. Now, we have more w men than women, right? 70-30-ish? That's right. correct. And, and of the men we have, most of them are not transgender men. Most of them are cisgender men, right? Uh, yes, sir. But yet, at our academies, we pu push something called the Brooke Owens Fellowship. Are you familiar with that? I am, yes, sir. And in that fellowship, it specifically says, if you are a cisgender man... This program isn't for you. So you just said that your answer on why we, why we do such this, this full hug of these diversity concepts is because it's all about the fighting force that we draw from. But you, you're literally pushing a program in the academies that says if you're a cisgender woman, a transgender woman, a non-binary, agender, bigender, two-spirit, demigender, what's demigender? Sir, that's, a, uh, that's a, a, a term of the people that are eligible for that particular scholarship that yeah, is available to, it's a person who looks at their gender in a, in a, different, uh, a different way than I do, sir. Well, sure, that's all so, of these people. You're a cisgender man. You don't even get to apply. Well. Do you know what gene, demigender really means? I, I'm not really sure, sir. There it is. Right. So do you know what agender means? All one word, not a space gender, but a gender. Uh, sir, I don't. Right, so it is. here we are pushing a fellowship, calling for people that you don't even know what the words mean, and the number one group of people, the cisgender men, are excluded. Now, in the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion, should we be pushing programs that we can't define that exclude the largest group of service members? Well, sir, first, that uh, program is not an Air Force Academy program. It's a program open to our entire country. Right, so but we you, guys, allow, you guys advocate for it within the academy. We allow our cadets to apply for it. Why are you allowing your cadets to apply for a program when you cannot define the basic terms of eligibility? Because it's an opportunity for us to develop them as warfighters, and we look for every opportunity that we can. But you don't even know what the words mean. How can to, you use this as a way to develop the warfighters if you don't know what it means? Well, some of those, those uh, terms may not be applicable to us at the Air Force Academy, but some are. But, but, so, but if, well, if you don't know what they mean, it's hard to tell if they're applicable or not. So I think one of the reasons why some of this stuff has gotten into the academies is because we don't have the same oversight from the Board of Visitors. And, Mr. Chairman, I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record. It was into an issue with the Board of Visitors. But I got, I got to tell you, I was waiting in the life that we've been subjected to over the last five to eight years for someone to ask a person promoting these, how many genders are there now, 58, 57, something like that. Um, do you know? Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. For someone to ask, do the people who are promoting this stuff even know what they're talking about? 
Or is this like that essay from Vaclav Havel, the power – what is it? The power of the oppressed is it, no, the power of the powerlessness. That Vaclav Havel essay, he says, well, the, the, the storekeeper, the grocer, the green grocer may just have to hang a sign in his window that says workers of the world unite without ever really even knowing what it means or believing in it because that is the price of admission to a safe to a safe business, to a business that won't be shut down by the government and that will be – Will be um, will be uh, shopped at by the by by clients. You 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 just have to force yourself to confess to these to these neologis, neologisms, if you will, all of them. You just have to buy into everything they say, every bit of it, without even knowing what they mean. I was wondering when we would get to the point when someone promoting this nonsense would be asked if he even or she even knows what they're talking about, what these terms even mean, and how you can make it available to a fighting force, in this case when it comes to the military, and in this case the Air Force, when you have no concept or clue as to what it means when you're trying to build, as he said, a more effective fighting military force. For all you know, one of these might be dedicated to pacifism. You just don't know. You j- he just doesn't know what these terms mean. And yet he adheres to them like, as so many adhere to them, attach themselves to them like a, like a pit bull, on a, like a pit bull on, a, on a jugular. They won't let go of it, but they don't know what it is that they've bitten. Exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. Good for him. You think about the economy and the bank failures and the stock market's volatility, people talking of a recession still possibly on the horizon. We certainly know that inflation has been anything but transitory. And you ask where to go to invest. And our friends at Y-Refi have a really good answer. How about in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market? That's what they offer, a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that um, delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101 I have, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Why refi You'll see why I trust them so much, and you can too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return, a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y, then R E F Y dot com, or call them at eight 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 Y Refi thirty four eight 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 Y Refi thirty four. I um I want to I. I we're we're almost two thirds through the show, and I just have to tell you how gra- grateful I am that one word has not been spoken here in these uh, two out of three hours that we do. Do you know what that word is, Barbie? I am so sick and tired of. What? Oh, I, I lost you on that one. Did you? Don't please. When you said you didn't ask me what I did this weekend, I was terrified to ask because everyone else seems to be talking about this Barbie thing. Are you asking what I did this weekend? Well, you asked me to ask. I'm just you. Please don't come back with a <laughs> B word. No, I, I saw a great uh, movie. It was uh, not Barbie. 
And it was not Oppenheimer, actually. What was it? It was uh, it was called the Essential Church, and it was produced by John MacArthur's church. It was really decent. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, it was all about churches during COVID nineteen that uh, stood up against government mandates, particularly in California. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, huh. socialist paradise of Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they gave a lot of historical allegory. They interviewed pastors in Scotland during a, a time of Inquisition in Scotland. It was really, uh, really good. Yeah. The closing of churches and synagogues, it was an amazing thing, and they really went after them, too. They really went after the synagogues in New York and the churches in oh, California. They said they, were, they said they were prepared to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, it was an amazing state effort that California the states went after. Amazing. paid church some $3 million. David McCullough opens up, I'll get it close to right, in, in the movie Seabiscuit. He narrates it. Beautiful movie. He's talking about uh, the Great Depression. He says, just when the country could really use a drink— they made it illegal, or it was illegal. And I'm thinking, you know, during COVID, just when you could really use a church or a synagogue or a 12-step meeting, that's what they shut down. Mm-hmm. That's what they shut down. Yeah, very powerful. We are deprioritized and misprioritized in this country. Thank you. All Boo right. on Barbie. Huh? Boo on Barbie. Yeah, let's, let's see if we can keep the streak going. This will be the full complement and extent to which that name, that word, shall be uttered on this show for the rest of the week. Let's see if we can maintain it. All right, I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com